This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. Greetings and thank you so much for tuning in. The conversation you're about to listen to features guitar maestro extraordinaire Robin Ford. Now, if you've tuned in via YouTube, you know exactly who Robin is. But if you're listening to my podcast, you might not be familiar So I'm going to go over a snapshot of some of the credits attributed to this great guitarist. Apart from being a solo artist in his own right with many releases to his credit, he's also played with such esteemed company as former Beatle George Harrison. He played on Dark Horse in 1974 and I believe he participated in what was Well, I know for a fact he participated in the tour, but I think it was George's only tour. So there you go. He was the guitarist on that one. We talk about that. He also recorded some guitars, a bit more than just recorded some guitars, but either way, features on Creatures of the Night, the album from Kiss, When Things Are Splintering, and they were looking for a a new guitarist to join full-time and take over the role that Ace had long filled, and he has a big reveal about that. Something else, he worked with Bruce Willis. That's right, the actor. He worked on a solo album from him, If It Don't Kill You, It Makes You, It Just Makes You Stronger. And there's uh, there's so many other people that he's worked with, such as Barbara Streisand, but perhaps his tour de force is working with Miles Davis. Stick around and tune in to what he has to say about working with probably... I don't know, would you call him the greatest musician of all time? He's certainly up there. Either way... The catalyst for the chat, though, is the release of a brand new solo album from Robin titled Pure. And as far as I'm concerned, if you're looking for anywhere to start with this great man's extraordinary body of work, Pure is a pretty bloody good one. So here he is, Robin Ford. <laughs> I'm also a musician and it's, it's somebody like yourself, I think, has been a guiding light within our lives in in so many ways you know and i'm loving this new album it's called pure of course Mm. and look i I take it that the title is to mean that we're getting a pure dose of robin ford because that's certainly how i'm taking it you know with your incredibly crisp guitar tone and the the placement of, of notes so um yeah, look, just congratulations on, on the album. And um, is there anything you wanted to say up top about it? Uh, well, um, indeed, uh, in the title, there are, are a couple of things indicated. Um, <clears throat> that, uh, you know, it is purely instrumental. It um, has no other intention than making great music. And that I, I built this record basically from the ground up with my co-producer engineer, mm. Casey Wozner. So, you know, my usual MO in making a record is to write a bunch of songs, go into a studio with a chosen group of people, record for four days, five days, <clears throat> and then start the overdubbing process. But I started with that notion uh, didn't have a lot of material. I had just started writing. Uh, Went into the studio two, three times with other musicians and I just 
I just knew that I had to do this record a different way because I wanted it to be exactly what I wanted. I didn't want it to be a give and take process at all. Mm. <laughs> and playing with other people is give and take. You know, I wanted everything to be exactly as I wanted it to be, you know? And uh, so, you know, my uh, Casey Wozner and I, we would build the tracks, you know, we'd uh, put together some kind of a, you know, through technology, a drum track. And then I would play a bass and then I'd play a rhythm guitar and then I'd play a melody and then I'd play a solo, you know, so to speak, you know, very, mm. uh, you know, beginning through, you know, and then send it to uh, others to put drums on. You know, there's five different drummers on the record and, um, you know, they would record drums at home. This was during COVID. Mm -hmm. So a lot of this was going on everywhere. You know, you weren't getting together with people quite the same way that you would. So drums were uh, overdubs and um, then I would bring a bass player in and the bass player, you know, would lay down a bass track. But all of this with, you know, the entire, you know, structure is there. The vibe that I want, you know, the, the, the tempo, you know, um, the feel. It's already been laid down by me uh, in the studio on my own. <laughs> so. Mm. It, all they had to do was, you know, just what I asked them to do, you know. And um, so in that sense, it's, it's the most, it's the purest version of a Robin Ford record that one could get. It's really my construct, you know. And from that point of view, I sort of see it as a, um, it's kind of like a through composition, you know. You know, it's, it's, it's I, the, the record opens with the first thing that I wrote. Yeah, for the record, but I only play the melody and then it goes straight into that blues, you know, white rock beer and, and then evolves out from there. Uh, so, you know, to me that listening to the record is like watching a movie, you know what I mean? It's yeah. kind of like got a beginning, a middle and an end built into it somehow. And it has to be because of that intention, that, you know, pure intention, dare I say, mm. of having it exactly as I, I wanted it to be. Yeah, well, well, mission accomplished on that front, no doubt. But um, look, to, to your point there, I did read the bio and, and the work that you're doing there with Casey. It started out as a big band or, you know, your, your typical recording setup that you might have gone through on your previous 28 albums. I think I'm right in saying this is your 20 well, minutes. No, <laughs> that's not true. As far as solo albums go, that's not true. You know, I've, there have been other things. There have been things that came out under my name that weren't my name, <laughs> that weren't my records. So. Oh, right. Is that right? So yeah, we're talking about you Tiger can't Walk. Believe. So Tiger Walk is, is the... Oh, no, is that, no. Tiger Walk's my record for sure. Oh, yeah, no, I figured that. But uh, I, I read somewhere, yeah, that that was your last one. And I thought, no, that's not right. Because, of course, you've got Wikipedia these days and there's Discogs and, and the like where you can check. Check things. So were the albums that were released, some of these ones that were released under your name, were they record company commitments, that sort of thing? No. Uh, I mean, you know, just deliberate, you know, renaming of records because I was the best known guy on the record. So they'd put it out, you know, company just put it out under my name instead of the actual artist who made the record. Oh, wow. You know, okay. Creepy yeah. things like that that go on in the music business. 
but it's more like, you know, like I did a record with Jody Oreo, for instance, and I think that's considered one of my records. It's not, you know, I just, I just went in and played. They asked me to come in and play and I came in and played. Just things like that, you know, where people just sort of take advantage. I'm not saying that the Jody Oreo record was, I, I wasn't taken advantage of, but mm. again, there, there are people who I think, think that's one of my records and I've never considered it one of my records, you know. Mm. Look, look, I think you've, yeah, yeah, no, fair enough. And look, I think you've, you've almost answered my next question, but I'll go there anyway, because there are so many killer moments across the recording that I think any fan of, of rock, blues and jazz guitar will find something that is a little more than just interesting for them in what you've released here with Pure. But mm -hmm. I, I must say that the production is just so incredibly clean, crisp and clear like your note placement. It's just so tight. So was that something that evolved when you were working with Casey or did you have that in mind before you started the, the album? Everything always is a, an evolutionary process, you know. And uh, I just, I started wanting to make grittier records a while back. Uh, that this is, is clean and clear is true. And uh, the last record that I did, however, was um, called Purple House. It was done in the same studio and we actually did cut it with a band in that studio. Mm. And the, the whole <clears throat> MO with that was to really do almost counter counterintuitive things, you know? Like if it sounded good, mess it up, make it sound worse, mm. <laughs> you know? Kind of, so to speak. I mean, it, it always has to sound good but um, I, I really pushed the envelope on that album in terms of, you know, what a, one of my records would sound like uh, very intentionally, you know? Mm. So when we went into this record, uh, it, it, I think it became, it, it's a, such a clear and clean sounding record because uh, we used a lot of technology. You know, mm -hmm. um, and even when you, you know, make technology sound gritty, it's still digital, you know. So there's digital information on the record. The record sounds cleaner than I would like it to. Uh, and I but I think that has to do with the extent to which we use technology. Mm -hmm. And I love the record. Don't get me wrong. I'm not unhappy at all. <laughs> I love it, you know, no disappointment, mm -hmm. but we kind of couldn't make it sound dirtier <laughs> because uh, of the amount of technology that was used. Now, this technology is all background, really, you know, because the guitars were played through amplifiers and recorded with microphones, you know, mm -hmm. same with the drums. Bass is usually cut direct, you know? So, and that's your in instrumentation right there. You know, there, I didn't bring in any keyboard players, any keyboards you hear, I played them and they're just incidental, you know, it's just to kind of add a little something here and there. But I avoided keyboards at all costs. It's guitars, you know, for days. Yeah. You know, there'll be three, four and five guitars on, on these tracks. Drums, yeah. bass. Still, you know, like uh, just the way in which we, we cut it, 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 um, it did wind up sounding, you know, clearer 
<laughs> almost than I would like, but no disappointments, man. I, I must say that this is absolutely one of my all-time favorite records I've ever made. And it kind of goes back to what we were started with was, you know, the pure aspect of it. I mean, I, I controlled every, every, every note, you know, of this thing mm. and played most of them myself. <laughs> Look, the other thing too, um, is that the bass lines contain plenty of hot licks to complement what you're doing with the guitar and especially on the cut go, which is just a rock and groove number. I love that one there. So did you play the bass across the album and indeed on go? No, um, go was recorded live. Bass player is a guy named Anton Nesbitt. Mm -hmm. And the drummer is a very well known, highly regarded drummer. Um, uh, Nate Smith is from Snarky Puppy, uh, uh, excuse me, Wolfpack. And mm -hmm. he has his own band called the uh, Fearless Flyers. You know, he's uh, just a great drummer who had recently moved to Nashville. And when I found out, I got in touch with him, asked him if he'd record. He said yes. And I wrote two songs for him. <laughs> so go is uh is one of them and that's a that's a live performance you know uh, mm -hmm. and again anton nesbitt on the on the bass uh the blues uh slow blues uh blues for lonnie johnson mm -hmm. that was recorded live in the studio with those same two well no i'm sorry i used a different bass player uh on that one and uh there's another song that's kind of uh, a, a live band performance. Uh, it's called If You Want Me To. Mm -hmm. That was cut in the studio okay. with a band. And it's also Anton Nesbitt uh, on uh, bass there. He's great. Anton's great. He's a great feel. Everybody loves him. What, do, you, do you have to, I'm not saying issue instructions to a guy like Anton, but what do you say before a session to him? Do you, do you give him a chord chart and say, mate, just do what you think fits? Or do you give him more, more instruction than that? Well, um, I've, I've learned to shut up at first. You know, you don't start with instruction. It's the least amount of instruction, you know, that you might, you know, go for. But mm -hmm. I, I have learned that it's much wiser to let people just do their thing and then make adjustments as you go. And um, I don't have to tell Anton anything. <laughs> he produces himself, you know. Yeah, nice. Yeah, fantastic. Choice of guitars this time around. I know you're, you're famous for Telecaster work, but was there anything else that you decided to use on this album that might have been a first for you? Well, the Tele is actually uh, the least used guitar in uh on the record of my instruments even though the telecaster has been you know the most important guitar i've ever owned you know mm. and it does grace the cover of the album uh my girlfriend kelly roberts uh took the photograph and uh and did the artwork for the record so uh nice. the, there's like five or six maybe different guitars on the record um, like the, uh, the beginning of the album is the melody to the song pure that is done on an SG 64 SG. Mm -hmm. 
The solo, which it appears the whole song is played at the end, is done on a PRS that Paul uh, Reed Smith made for me, solid body you know, instrument. Mm -hmm. uh, White Rock Beer, that's Les Paul with genuine PAFs, 50s PAFs in it. Uh, the melodies to Balafon and uh, Milan Palmo are played on a Gibson 355, a 60, 64 Gibson 355. Solo to Milan Palmo is on a 52 Telecaster. The solo on uh, Balafon is on uh, my 64 Epiphone. <laughs> so the record goes like that, you know? Mm. I used a different PA, PRS on the solo, or the, the performance, I should say. It's a through performance, live performance on uh, Blues for Lonnie Johnson. That's a PRS. Nice. Uh, and then I, a B50, a B52, <laughs> a B25, <laughs> like a 65 B25 acoustic, plays mm. all the acoustic on the, on the album. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's actually hard to tell. Um, what guitar you're using where you know why and take this as a compliment because it's all you and I've always yeah. said that as a muso you're, you're right-handed from memory um, it's it's how it, it's the compression ratio and this is a bit too technical I know but of how hard you're pressing down on the fretboards and stuff it varies by yeah by, by tiny degrees from person to person but you're one of those yeah. players that every time you play just with that nuance that you have, you can almost, I'm not saying you can always tell, but I can usually say, okay, there's Robert. Yeah. And that's certainly the case here. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, hey, did you, um, random question, I appreciate that, bit of, a, bit of a right term, but did you ever do sessions or work with Steve Kahn from New York? Steve Kahn? Yeah. The jazz guitarist no. out of New York, yeah. Oh, yeah, it, I, I'm acquainted with Steve, but I never played with him. I would love to see you two do something together. That can never happen. Huh? Put my put my request in now. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I never see him. I haven't seen him in many, many years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, I want to go back in time a bit. Um, and I appreciate you. You might get asked these questions a, a fair bit. But um, look, you did record three songs with George Harrison back in 1974. And I'm pretty yep. sure you did some live work as well on Dark Horse. And His only tour, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you actually recorded, you might have even written, so correct me if I'm wrong, um, the title track, Dark Horse. And um, so how did the introduction to George come about? Well, I was uh, 22 years old. I had my 23rd birthday on the Dark Horse tour in 1974. Um, before uh, I met George uh, when I was on the road with Joni Mitchell. And um, we played in London and uh, he came to the concert and he and Tom Scott, who was sort of a uh, musical director uh, of the uh, LA Express, which was the band backing Joni. Uh, Tom had done a record with George producing on Ravi Shankar. Mm -hmm. and it was called uh, Shankar Family and Friends. So it was Ravi you know, members of his family who were musicians and, um, and LA studio musicians, and Tom was one of them. So uh, Tom knew George and uh, George had gotten in touch with Tom, said he was putting together a band for a tour. 
of his own. And uh, he, he came to the show ostensibly to check out the LA Express. Hmm. And uh, we had a couple of days uh, off. So we all went out to uh, George's you know, place, Henley on Thames, out there. And uh, I, I guess we, oh yeah. So we got out there in the early afternoon. Uh, George got up in the late afternoon. <laughs> and uh, all smiles, Galois cigarette in his mouth, you know. And uh, we hung out all day, well, through the evening. And uh, we started recording at mm, three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and uh, we cut um, uh, Simply Shady and Hari's on Tour Express, two of the three songs that I played on that wound up on the Dark Horse record. Mm. And, um, you know, said goodnight. Um, <clears throat> a couple of months later, uh, uh, Tom uh, said to me, you know, George wants, wants you to play guitar, you know, on the tour. Tom was already doing it, but he didn't want the band, uh, but he, he wanted me on guitar. Mm. And uh, so I was invited to, you know, do the uh, George Harrison tour, which basically after we finished the road with Joni, uh, the LA Express went into the studio and cut the record Tomcat. And then Tom and I went into rehearsals with George Harrison and then went on the road with George for uh, about two and a half months. Was he, was he a nice guy, nice fellow to be around? Oh yeah. Um, the thing was, uh, you know, he was incredibly talkative. Really? I mean, he, he never stopped talking. <laughs> and uh, just telling stories and just like on and on and on and on and on, you know? It was kind of, you know, like so, it was sort of like, you know, he came in the room and it was kind of like the George Harrison hour, you know, showtime, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Okay. You know, you could participate if you wanted to, but <laughs> it was all about him, you know? And I don't mean that in like some egomaniacal way at all. It was a super nice cat, you know, and he mm. wasn't, you know, I'm cool and you're not in any way. And he was very kind to me, you know, but he, he, he just had such huge personality, you know, just big personality man yeah so yeah. uh anyway yeah he, he was a great guy absolutely were you ever tapped on the shoulder by uh gene and paul to don the makeup when you were working on creatures of the night <laughs> well you know yeah i i was uh you're referring to creatures of the night the kiss album mm. And uh, there were about nine different guitar players who played on that record. Mm -hmm. And um, it turned out that they were looking for somebody, you know, uh, to join the band. And um, the, one night after, you know, I, I was in, I was down there like every night for about nine days recording with those guys, you know, doing overdubs. It was all overdubs. Yeah. I never tracked with them. I don't think they tracked. You know, I think they recorded yeah. drum and they recorded bass. You know, a lot of these guys do it. So uh, 
anyway, uh, one night the, the producer came to me and he said, hey, uh, um, what's his name? Not Paul Stanley, but Gene. Gene. Gene, Gene, Simmons. Gene was wondering if you'd give him a ride back to his, his place, you know? And uh, I'm like, uh, no, man, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going the other direction, <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> I didn't want him to ask me. <laughs> my impression, you know, and, and the producer's impression was that he was going to ask me if I wanted to do it. Oh, wow. Okay, there you and go. And I'm like, there's no way I would have done that, you know, for no amount of money. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I just, I just, just didn't let it go that far, you know. Yeah. No. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. And look, I think I think a very uh, far lesser known aspect of your career, and I didn't realize it until I was doing research, but you did some work with actor Bruce Willis. Yeah. On an album of his. Um, of course, you know, he's far more famous for his acting to the point where I didn't even realize he had albums out, but, but there they are and there you are on them. So the solo album is If I Don't Kill You, If It Don't Kill You, It Just Makes You Stronger. So is he, is he a real cat? Is he, is, he a, is he a real musician? And can you tell me about working with him? Um, I did the one record with him that you just uh, mentioned the title. Um, no, you know. I mean, uh, he, he plays a little blues harmonica and he can sing within a certain range in tune. And he has, uh, he's, you know, got a lot of energy, you know, his, mm. clearly, you know, uh, we would say he has a lot of chi, you know, he's got, got a lot of just personal, you know, juice, you know. Mm. And um, so it was, the process was fun, you know. And uh, everything was tailored to, you know, to fit him, you know. So the record was built around him. It wasn't like you made something and then asked him to come up to that, you know. Mm. You, you kind of, we, we built the record around him. And, uh, you know, he's not, he's not a musician. He's got some musical sensibilities, you know, can carry a tune, you know. But... Uh, <laughs> and a nice guy also, but uh, nice. not really a musician. It, because of that work there, were, were there, I know, uh, what's not right, his name, David Hasselhoff does albums. Were, were, there, were there more opportunities for you to work with these left of centre people who don't have a background in the music industry? Were they tapping you on the shoulder because of that mm -hmm. album or even before that? Seems like there might be, but I, I can't think of anything. Not really. Mm. Barbara Streisand, Streisand Superman, Killer Session. Yeah, well, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Not much to say. Okay, radio. Yeah, it's just it's a pairing that works on paper, no doubt, from the sounds of things there. But uh, oh, well, there was just a whole bunch of musicians in the room, man. You know, Steve Lukather was there, you know, Jeff Beccaro, mm. Abe Laboreal, you know, two keyboard players, you know. I mean, I, I'm incidental, you know. I, I, had, I had no influence on that session whatsoever, you know. Right, okay. She could have done better probably with somebody else. <laughs> Case of too many cooks in the kitchen, so to speak? No, you know, I just, I, I was never really a studio musician. I, didn't, I never had the sensibility. I didn't have the gear, 
you know, I wasn't really attuned to that environment. I was a live player. And sometimes people would, you know, bring me in on a session. And, you know, as often as not, I wouldn't necessarily really be the right guy. It took a long time for me to become uh, adept at accompanying. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, really knowing how to, <clears throat> you know, fit into a situation you know, in a, in a, in a way that really contributed. It's a, it's a real skill. And some people, I think, you know, they're just more attuned to it. I mean, someone like Steve Lugather, you know, he grew up in the studios, man. Yeah. He was doing sessions when he was 19. Yeah. I was playing with Charlie Musselwhite when I was 19. (laughs) You know, I only knew one guitar and one amplifier, you know, I'd never made a record in my life. So just very different backgrounds. So, you know, the people who belonged there really were the people who did it for a living, you know. Yeah. They, they, I remember one time Larry Carlton saying to me when I first met Larry, I was living in LA and uh, I think the Joni Mitchell tour had finished and he, he called me. Now, I still didn't know him. I'd only met him briefly, but uh, he called me after I'd gotten off the road with all of this stuff. And, uh, you know, he said, you want to come over? I said, sure. You know, so I, I uh, we, we hung out for an evening and we wound up doing a few shows at uh, uh, this club in North Hollywood. But he said to me, you know, he goes, yeah, I mean, if you want to do the studio thing, you know, you need to take about $5,000, buy a bunch of great gear, learn how to use it, you know, mm-hmm. learn how to, how to, uh, you know, work with small amps, you know, be able to have a good sound at, at low volumes and mm. know the right microphones to use, you know, if the engineer doesn't and, you know, all of those things. And it's just, I never did it. You know, that, that wasn't mm. what I wanted in my life. I wanted to make my own music, record, tour, you know? Yeah. Play. Well, well, I might be paraphrasing here, but I don't know how many other musicians the great Miles Davis said this too, but words along the lines of when you were leaving, come back anytime you want. Yeah. I don't know how many other people he would have, sorry, my camera will come back on in a moment. There we go. Is it going to come back on? There we go. Must be Miles. Miles must be telling us something here. But uh, what, what were your memories of working with Miles? Well, you know, of course, uh, the, the highlight of my career uh, was working with Miles. Um, I mean, you know, my ultimate musical icon, and I got to play with him. And he wasn't happy when I left. And he did say, if you ever want to come back, you just come back. And that was astonishing to hear. I was with him for about six months, five and a half, six months, toured some in the US uh, and toured in Europe for about five weeks. And we were over there for a while, I think, maybe three weeks. Mm. Um, and, um, so my time with him was fairly short, but of course, you know, he makes a big impression, (laughs) you know, without picking up his horn, you know, and, uh, we rarely saw him, uh, except right before the gig, you know, we'd all be at the side of the stage waiting to go on. And then Miles would just kind of stroll out of his, you know, dressing room. He'd be just walking real slow, playing his trumpet a little bit his tour manager's trying to hook up his wireless device, you know, and um, 
we'd go out and play and then he'd split, you know, but uh, he would call me on the phone every now and then, you know, in New York, I actually lived on the other side of the park from him in a much worse apartment <laughs> in New York city at the time. And, uh, you know, I said, Robin, how you doing? What you doing? You know? And, uh, I, I had conversations with him, you know, that would be, you know, 20 minutes long, you know, we're just talking on the phone. And, uh, so, uh, a little bit of interaction on the road, you know, where mm -hmm. he'd, he'd say something, you know, to me, we'd have some kind of an exchange or he'd play a joke on me or anybody else or, uh, uh, you know, he, he was always sort of like poking you. He, he would say something kind of salty, you know, something <laughs> challenging, you know, is the way I would put it. Yeah. You know, kind of. And, uh, you know, I figured out that he wanted you basically to spar with him. You know, he didn't want you to like go, Oh gee, I don't know. You know, be scared. He didn't want you to be scared. Although what he would be doing would be, you know, make you nervous. You know? So I figured that out and that made things much easier, you know, in terms of relating with him, you know, whenever mm. it happened. So uh, it was great. Um, absolutely the, the most, you know, confirming experience, you know, like after I played with Miles Davis and I knew that he liked my playing and he was, he would rather I was in his band than not. Uh, that gave me a confidence that, uh, you know, I hadn't uh, before then had, you know, I was like mm. 35 or six when I played with him. Yeah. And I was going through a lot of struggle during that period of time. Uh, I was trying to get my own solo career off the ground, you know, and I was having a lot of trouble uh, making that happen uh, because of this jive record producer. Uh, who uh, had signed me to Warner Brothers. So uh, I was kind of like, I was already signed to the label. I'd already, you know, the demo for uh, the Talk to Your Daughter album was done and got me a deal. And then it just dragged on and on and on. The guy was never happy. You know, it took four years for that album to be released. And so, uh, you know, I, it, it gave me the time to do some other things you know, which was one of them was play with Miles Davis, you know. Mm. <laughs> yeah, outstanding. You've, very few people have a resume similar to yours in the music industry. So I'm going to bring, this will be my final question, and I want to bring things full circle here to almost where we started. So, look, aside from Pure, which which is definitely a career highlight as far as I'm concerned for you, if you, you had to, if you had to pick an album or a session to, to somebody who'd never heard you before but became mm -hmm. intensely interested in some of your work, but they mm -hmm. didn't know where to start, where would you say to them, this is where you should start? Well, probably Tiger Walk. I mean, the new record is, you know, I mean, it's a very sophisticated, you know, it's a very mature work. I mm. mean, it is. It's, it's the culmination of my entire career, you know, mm -hmm. all poured into one record. I would put it that way. And still, you know, going forward, still growing, still coming up with new things, you know, things I've never done before. I mean, that, that, that improvisation on the song Pure, you know, it's an Indian raga. Mm -hmm. that, that's an Indian scale, you know, that I had 
figured out just listening to something I liked. And I'm like, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to go for it. We're going to play Indian music, <laughs> you know? And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm proud of myself that I actually had the guts, the nerve to go ahead and do that and leave it on the record, you know? Mm-hmm. It, t- it takes nerve. Trust me. <laughs> um, but the, um, the Tiger Walk record, you know, for me, you know, it's got all the R&B in it. It's got the blues in it. It's got the Miles Davis influence in it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've spent many years now writing songs and really working hard at that, uh, developing myself as a vocalist, you know, so that I could just pick up an acoustic guitar and sing you a song and it would be a really good song. Well done. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I made a choice to start to reach that goal. And um, when, when you make a choice like that, you leave other things behind, you know. So the instrumental thing got left behind, you know, Tiger Walk was 15 years ago, you know, and this is my first instrumental album since then. Mm-hmm. So um, I got good at writing songs, you know, and, and making, making records that I'm proud of, you know, I like the songs, you know, I like the productions, everything. But just bottom line, I'm a guitar player. I have to admit that to myself even. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tiger Walk, that record is a blast. It's a blast. It rocks. It was incredibly well recorded. It's live performances. You know, there, there are uh, guitar solos that are overdubbed, mm-hmm. but um, those rhythm tracks are, are, are burning and, and some of the, uh, the performances are absolutely live. You know, I think I Can't Stand the Rain mm-hmm. is a live a guitar solo. Um, Oasis. It's just the band playing in, in the room, man, you know. And again, all the tracks are, are absolutely live. And boy, what a rhythm section, you know. Steve Jordan on drums, Bernie Worrell on keyboards. Just fantastic. And um, uh, the bass player is actually a drummer. <laughs> well. and his, his name escapes me right now. Yeah. Charlie Drayton. Charlie Drayton. One of the great in drummers. He, he lives in Australia. He was married to Chrissy yeah. Ankle. Right. He's in Cold Chisel at the moment. Say that again. He's in a band, a very famous, or they're very famous in Australia, Cold Chisel, uh, with Chisel. Jimmy Barnes. Yeah. He's playing drums in the look at that moment. up right after I get off, because I, I want to hear that. I mean, yeah, Charlie's one of the great drummers, but he played bass with... Um, Keith Richards, right? Yes. Yeah. He was in the expensive winos. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. Spot on. I heard that record, Talk is Cheap. Mm. The first, uh, you know, uh, of the, I think he made at least two, maybe three records mm-hmm. uh, with that band. At Bernie Worrell and uh, Steve Jordan and Charlie on bass. Uh, and I went, I want that rhythm section. Uh, you know, and I wound up making the record I wanted to make, man, you know, and it was scary because, uh, you know, they're all in New York and I was still living in, in Los Angeles at that time. And so I wrote all that music for Tiger Walk, just me in my studio. I never recorded anything. And I, I don't do that. I don't make demos. I sat down with the guitar and I would, you know, write a song. 
<laughs> and then write out chord charts and maybe some bass lines. And I took all that music to New York. Have, I didn't know those guys at all and never heard the music, didn't know if it was worth a damn. And really nervous, man, really nervous. And uh, at the end of that week, we had all those brilliant tracks, but melodies weren't even written for a lot of those songs. Mm. I, had to, I wrote the melodies after the facts. So it was a scary record to make. And to this day, here I am saying that would be the one. Well, Robin, I'll leave it there. Your, your career is, is a tour de force of epic guitar performance that I think people will be listening to in decades. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to overstate the case here, but maybe even hundreds of years' time because, I mean, it's there for posterity, your catalogue. Uh, thank you so much for making the music that you've made. It is meaningful and it is important in a global and a universal sense as well that real musicians like yourself have tapped into your genuine source of creativity. And now you've got this killer album, Pure, so I look forward to listening to that for many years to come myself. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Very kind and I appreciate it. My pleasure. Well, all the very best, and it's been an absolute joy to talk to you, mate. Pleasure. Thanks See so you, much, man. Though. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. There you have it. That was my conversation with the great Robin Ford. If you enjoyed the conversation with Robin, there are plenty more that resemble that one. That was a bit special, though, wasn't it? But either way, plenty of conversations over at scarsandguitars.com if you love chats with musicians from the world of rock, metal, punk, extreme metal, and beyond, guitarists such as Robin. I've had a chat to, actually I should mention this now, I've had a chat to Don Felder from the Eagles, you can find that chat, same with uh, a conversation with Al Anderson, who's a fellow that played the guitar on so many Bob Marley recordings, and also Peter Tosh as well. But uh, that guitar line that you hear at the beginning of No Woman, No Cry, that's him. And uh, Al Dimiola was another highlight as well. But uh, there you go. I love having conversations with musicians, so what can I say? Please like, subscribe, share, comment. It all helps. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. I appreciate the fact you tuned in.